But I think it's important to, to first understand that we are likely going to experience some kind of conflict in the workspace uh, because we have folks coming from different backgrounds um, with different experiences and different you know, approaches to work. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, today we're talking to Dr. Rosa West. Um, we're talking about work relationships, how to navigate those those relationships at work. Rosa, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Uh, yes, so I am the Associate Director for Outreach and uh, Consultation here at the Counseling and Wellness Center um, and provide you know, clinical services for our students. Uh, my background is um, in counselor education and supervision, where I earned my doctorate. And I also have um, an, an MBA concentrating in healthcare administration. And so that gives me um, a little bit of, you know, a different perspective as far as what, you know, students or folks might be experiencing individually uh, and what, you know, sometimes happens systemically within different kinds of organizations and groups. That's great. Thank you. So we'll start off with our first question. Many of our students are entering the workforce for the first time, whether it's through an internship or a job to kind of help them pay for college or get through college, or maybe it's even their first job after they've graduated. So what are some common emotions or experiences they might have as they enter this new part of their life? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the primary emotions that individuals are going to experience is excitement, right? And so, you know, when we're transitioning into something new, um, especially if it's an area that we've been working for, you know, educationally or through our training, you know, there's a level of excitement that we're, you know, going to experience. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that because, um, you know, sometimes we don't spend as much time experiencing that and really kind of leaning into that, you know, new energy and excitement that comes with something new. Um, so, you know, individuals might also experience um, anxiety, right? And so when it's a new environment, um, there are a lot of questions that might come up, right? And the way of, you know, what's expected of me in that role or position, um, I may have trained, right, and studied in this area. And this might be my first practical experience, right? And actually, you know, moving into a new workspace. And so there's naturally going to be some anxiety or some worry, you know, that can accompany you know, going into a new position. Um, yeah, other emotion- kind of in- I'm sorry, can yeah. be kind of intimidating, you know, if you're going uh, as green as you are going into a position where, many of your colleagues have been in the workforce for, for several years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes that anxiety can, you know, expound, right. Especially if we're not 
um, keeping that mindfulness or that awareness that it's natural and common to experience anxiousness when we're going into any kind of a situation where there's some, some kind of uncertainty. And of course, in a new position where we're going to be learning new things and we're not as familiar about um, sort of the culture and the context of the environment, you know, there are going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to figure out and kind of learn along the way. Um, and so I think accepting that and kind of, you know, looking forward um, to some of the things that we're going to learn in those new environments as a way to kind of mitigate and assuage, you know, some of the worries and anxieties that we could feel. Yeah, um, this is Chelsea for the listeners. <laughs> if you're hearing this third voice, um, but I wanted to say, I, yeah, I also think I, yeah, I agree with everything you were saying, Rosa. And I think um, one challenging um, or you know piece of change during this time when you're graduating or starting a new job is kind of transitioning your identity from student to professional and like kind of thinking about who am I as a professional? And sometimes it feels like this, you know, nebulous thing that is really hard to identify with. And it can be hard to identify with maybe other people in your workplace. Um, or, you know, I think a lot of people go through phases of imposter syndrome. And that's really common feeling like they don't deserve this or they don't belong. And, um, I think that's kind of a normal transitional kind of feeling is, is particularly when you're starting and um, a new, like new school, new career, new job. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that particularly highlights another emotion that can come up um, when moving into something that's new and that's um, sometimes sad or grief or loss because we had a comfort with our identity, right? We, you know, may have been students or trainees for a period of time where we built, you know, a level of confidence and familiarity of you know, being in that role and doing those kinds of things. And so when we're transitioning, right, into a new workspace or a new role or a new career, um, sometimes, right, there can be that sense of loss of uh, who was I then and who am I moving into? And, and that can cause, you know, some distress as we're trying to figure out, um, you know, how we're evolving and sort of growing and developing into this new role and into these new fields. And if, if you place, I think sometimes people will place unrealistic expectations on themselves when they're entering a new job, like, okay, well, I should know everything about this job already. It's been a week. I've been doing this job for a week. I should know it all. And so I think a lot of times people are afraid to approach their supervisors and ask questions because they don't want their supervisors to think they don't know what they're doing or their supervisors to think less of them or anything like that. So what are some maybe some skills, uh, some communication skills that people can employ when they're going to talk to their supervisor? Yeah, I think um, you highlighted, uh, you know, something in particular that can, can again, contribute to that sense of anxiety that we feel, and that's expectations and lack of clarity or understanding around expectations, whether that's um, I expect, right, or I think that my supervisor expects that I know everything and that I'm competent in all these areas, um, or 
you know, placing expectations on ourselves that also may be unrealistic of, well, I should be coming into this new position already have known um, what's expected of me and how to fulfill this role successfully. Um, But, you know, one of the ways, again, that we can sort of mitigate those anxieties is by getting a clearer sense from our supervisors, from the organization that we're working for, um, about what they actually do expect of us. And typically, you know, during the early stages of our our work and our training, um, they anticipate that we're going to have questions that we may be lost around um, policies and procedures that um, that is going to be a time that we may have a lot of questions, right? And when we can ask, you know, directly of our supervisor to kind of clarify, um, you know, what they're wanting from us, they often will share that information. And that can kind of lift some of the burden or some of the pressure that we put on ourselves to fulfill expectations um, that weren't actually expected of us. And so I would say that's one of the, the key things to do when we're in those um, types of situations is find ways that we can sit down with our supervisor um, and ask them to, you know, review what they're expecting of you and not necessarily um, across the entire time that you're working with them. You might just make it short term. So during this probationary period, right, that I'm in three months, six months, um, what's the expectation as far as my performance, right? Um, They might, you know, clearly identify that, well, we don't, expect that you meet the same kinds of objectives or the same kinds of goals of your colleagues, you know, that are off of probation or that have been here longer. And so it can help you to establish more realistic um, uh, expectations for yourself and really make sure that you and your supervisor are on the same page about what you're working towards. And so not only are you working in a way that fulfills um, the expectations of your supervisor, Um, But you're also able to work in a way where you're not having to carry those worries, those anxieties um, about, you know, quote unquote, if you're doing things well, uh, because you've already been given that information about what your supervisor is looking for and making that kind of evaluation. So the goal is to have more transparency with your supervisor. Yes. And maybe even... You mentioned, you know, having those meetings and sitting down and talking to them as far as, you know, during my probationary period, but maybe even follow-ups, you know, you Mm -hmm. can sit down and have that one meeting, but then would it be helpful for that person to then follow up with them a couple of weeks later or a month later and say, hey, you know, if they haven't received the feedback, how am I doing? Yes, yes. And, um, you know, you might at the time that you're having that initial conversation with your supervisor, um, ask for those opportunities, right? And so I think that that's a way both of communicating to your supervisor, communicating to your workspace, um, that you're wanting to be proactive, you know, proactive in meeting expectations and fulfilling, you know, both professional and personal goals. And so asking for those opportunities is a way, again, of garnering ongoing transparency, Uh, and a way of getting reassurance that you're on track. And again, you know, kind of going back to some of the things that can contribute to our anxiety, um, and that's uncertainty. And so if I'm checking in and my supervisor is able to comment or give me feedback um, about my progress, then I'm able to kind of get 
that assurance, right, that I need to assuage, you know, some of the uncertainty that I might struggle with in this new role and in this new position. Yeah, I think it, it can be when you're going into that new job, especially the, for the first time, it can often be like really unclear about how often or when or how you can talk to your supervisor. And I agree, like setting really clear expectations and understanding that can be so helpful. Um, I think like one helpful question to ask in the beginning is like how or where can we communicate frequently? And I know a lot of workplaces use things like Teams or Slack or um, those kinds of, you know, communication tools. And some people have, you know, a pretty um, flexible open door policy or you can text them anytime, but just kind of being really clear about that. And um, Mm -hmm. also even like finding, you know, when you're in a new job, like find someone another colleague or someone else that you feel comfortable talking to and, um, you know, another person that you can go to for questions or learn the ropes from, I, I, you know, especially depending on the size of your organization, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to start a new job and, you know, not really knowing how you fit in or where you fit in. Um, so kind of making more of an effort and beginning to like get to know other, other people and see like, okay, this is a good person I can go and talk to. Um, if I have other questions or things like that. Yeah. I love that question. Um, you know, particularly because it kind of highlights the communication style and the communication culture of the workspace. And so asking your supervisor, um, what's their preferred method of communication or their preferred method of getting questions. And so if you do want to check in and kind of get feedback or follow up, um, you and your, you know, supervisor, again, have a clear expectation of, um, you know, what their preference is and how you can go about getting your needs met. Uh, I think asking that question, again, also speaks to what the culture, right, of the organization might be around communication as far as what types of technologies or forums are typically used, um, you know, to gather information. And I'd add, you know, particularly, you know, to your suggestion and point of reaching out to colleagues, Um, that that's also another way of um, dealing with some of the emotions that may be coming up, right? And the way of uncertainties or the way of, you know, worries that we may have about our performance is reaching out and talking to our colleagues to also get a sense of what the expectations are, what the culture, right, of the workspace is. And so, you know, we can address, again, some of those curiosities and questions that we're having from day to day. I'm glad that you both brought up the colleagues and the culture of the work environment. So what happens if someone has a conflict with a coworker and they're new in this space and they want to keep their job and they like doing the job, but this conflict with the coworker is impeding on their success? Yeah. And that's a, a, a tough one, um, you know, because like you said, I, this, it may be a situation where that person loves their job, wants to stay there, and this particular element is making it challenging to feel, you know, fulfilled, you know, in that position. Um, 
But I think it's important to, to first understand that we are likely going to experience some kind of conflict in the workspace uh, because we have folks coming from different backgrounds um, with different experiences and different you know, approaches to work. Uh, and those differences, again, you know, may contribute to some of the conflict or some of the issues that are arising between you and those colleagues. Um, so when that happens, you know, one of the first things I usually will recommend uh, is for folks to really tune in to what they're feeling, right, and what they're experiencing and what kind of emotions are coming up for them as a result of that conflict, um, because there can be good information there about what needs to happen to address it. Um, if they're, you know, in reflecting on how they're feeling or how they're responding and reacting to the conflict, um, there's a recognition of severe s- distress um, and that this is a situation where, you know, it feels abusive um, or something, you know, that violates policy within the organization, um, then it may be necessary for that individual to ask for outside assistance or support or reach out to supervision, um, you know, to help manage that conflict. Uh, but, right, if it's something um, not as severe, not doesn't feel as significant, um, once you kind of reflect on how you're feeling and responding, uh, it's helpful to have a conversation with that colleague and kind of be transparent about what's coming up for you as far as where the conflict is. And so kind of getting an understanding of the context of the problem or the concern um, so that you can share that um, with that individual and kind of saying, hey, um, when this happens or when this occurs, um, it's bringing this issue up for me. And so being transparent around what tensions, what conflicts are arising with whatever interactions happening with it, you and that colleague. Um, and then, of course, from there, uh, you know, deciding what steps may be appropriate based on how they respond or how open they are to having that conversation with you. Yeah, I think... Also, you know, as a student listening to this, um, thinking about involvement and maybe a student lead, other leadership positions, student orgs, volunteer positions you might be in now, um, or working on a group project, I think those are really good and, you know, sometimes challenging ways to get used to and practice dealing with conflict and learning to address those things in a, in a healthy way. Um, I love like the idea of really kind of taking time to reflect on what it brings up for you. um, If there is an issue and kind of taking ownership of how the situation is impacting you and, you know, how it's making you feel. Um, I wonder if, you know, what are situations that might merit going to maybe someone else in the organization to bring it up um, and might not be best suited to kind of address the conflicts directly with the other person? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that, again, is why it's important to kind of reflect on how um, we're experiencing the conflict. Um, because if we're experiencing any personal hurt, harm, or injury, you know, that may be an indication that this is something significant that needs to be addressed um, outside of you and that colleague. Um, and so situations where you might feel that you're being harassed 
Um, and so, and that harassment can come, you know, in, in various ways, whether it's uh, sexual harassment or physical harassment, um, bullying and that kind of things that can happen uh, in the workplace. Um, you know, there may be other situations where a colleague is also doing something that violates whatever conduct policies are within that organization. Um, and so, again, really paying attention to what the impact is. If this feels like uh, a personal injury, a personal violation um, of my rights as an employee of this organization, this is likely a situation where I need to report this um, you know, to somebody who's in supervision or management uh, who can address this uh, appropriately. I think it's important to define what exactly that sexual harassment looks like. I know that there are certain uh, work environments that, you know, especially if it's a young crowd, they're very open to talking about sex and who they hooked up with and, you know, who they like and, and things like that. But at what point does it become sexual harassment? I guess that would be any, anything that doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah, anything that doesn't feel comfortable to you. Uh, and that's why, again, that first step, I want to reflect on how I'm personally being impacted. Mm -hmm. And that personal impact is important because that's essentially, you know, what's going to be looked at um, when assessing the situation. And I think that sometimes when we um, sort of step out of that personal impact and compare, right, um, well, it's not as bad as, or they didn't do this, which sort of fits my expectation of what sexual harassment looks like, um, you know, we might miss the fact that we are actually being harmed and injured in that way. And so if I'm feeling uncomfortable, if somebody is um, making inappropriate comments, inappropriate statements, inappropriate jokes, right, related to sex or sexuality, and that makes me uncomfortable, that may fall within the realm of sexual harassment. Um, and, you know, when we're moving into new workspaces, these are some of the things that can be helpful in considering as far as what supports are in place within the organization to address these kinds of conflicts and these kinds of problems and issues. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, in those conversations, if what you're hearing um, is that there aren't policies, that there aren't procedures in place for how you as an employee can reach out and report concerns and um, seek resolution to issues that you're experiencing, um, that may not be a safe or healthy workspace to move into. Um, and so as we're thinking about, well, how do I manage um, conflict and how do I manage you know, problems that I might experience in the workplace? Uh, that's one of the primary things that we can do is kind of assess what the culture is and being able to provide that level of support um, because that may be something that I really do need when I move into that workspace. And if they can't accommodate, um, well, that's a risk, right? That's a risk to my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. And that may not be an organization that I want to work with. Yeah, I think the... Um process of interviewing, applying for jobs and inter internships is a really good time to sort of figure that out and view it as a way of, you know, that the company organization isn't just interviewing me, I'm interviewing them and like 
you know, you never, you know, you don't fully a hundred percent know everything it's going to be like until you're there, but trying to kind of vet the organization. And if you can even like seeing if you can talk to other people that have worked there or have experience there um, and get a sense of, you know, the culture, um, communication, what people enjoy about the jobs. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that can be really telling, um, yeah, as to the company culture and, and what it might be like. Yeah. And that may not be something that, you know, as new professionals, we consider doing when we're interviewing for these positions, because, you know, our experience up to this point may, you know, be having to be interviewed and, you know, being on the other end where we're trying to be selected and trying to be chosen. Um, and we don't consider that in transitioning into our professional world, it's a mutual interview that I'm also interviewing this organization to see if they fit and align with my values and if they're supportive of my professional goals and how I see myself developing in the future. And so again, asking you know, questions around um, how they support their employees and what are the nature of work relationships, what opportunities um, are there within the organization for staff to get together and kind of address morale concerns? Um, how is conflict addressed when there you know, are issues that come up between working professions? But again, thinking about what kinds of cultural environments we want to work in and making sure that we have some of those questions prepared for us so that we're, when we're interviewing and we're you know, ultimately asked, you know, do you have any questions for us? We're ready and pre- we're prepared, right? And we're prepared with questions that um, are framed around how we, right, are going to be cared for and how we can care for ourselves mentally and emotionally in those environments. What are some signs of maybe what a healthy work environment looks like? Mm-hmm. Um. I think one of the uh, first signs is the responsiveness of the organization, right? And so again, kind of going back to asking those questions around, you know, policies and procedures and, um, you know, how often you have opportunities to meet with your supervisor and what is, um, you know, ways in which feedback, right? And evaluation is provided to staff and and faculty, Um, you know, but again, kind of asking those questions about how responsive the organization of the system traditionally is, um, because that's going to be telling to how responsive, right, they're going to be once you enter that organization. Um, If there are problems and issues um, and the organization doesn't really have a good culture around that, you might find that your needs, you know, aren't met. And, um, you know, that leads to sort of work dissatisfaction if you're not able to sort of perform the work in the way that you envisioned. Um, I think another thing that's important kind of looking at organizations is um, their level of collaboration and transparency, right? And so if you're initially interviewing with an agency and kind of seeing if you fit and align, um, you know, no organization is going to fit everyone perfectly because we're all unique. Um, But we might see or hear in those interviews that there's a flexibility, and an opportunity to give feedback and kind of play a role in how that organization or agency develops. 
Um, and so asking questions around um, the opportunities around that as far as how the organization uses and works with its employees and meeting goals. Um, another key thing with organizations is how they communicate. Um, we know that, you know, in any workspace, communication is often key to getting things done uh, and can oftentimes impede our ability to um, fulfill our duties, right? If we don't often know what's expected or we don't know um, how, you know, particularly to do things or who to even go to if we have questions. And so kind of getting a sense of how the organization communicates. And to Chelsea's point earlier, again, another important piece of kind of asking questions of um, other colleagues that work there, former employees, existing employees, is that that can also be a great space to get some good feedback about how that organization communicates. Um, and you can ask questions specifically around, um, you know, communication to see, you know, if that organization, again, is going to be a place where you feel um, you're going to get the proper support in doing your work. Let's say you are in a situation where you, you do accept a job and after working in the job, you realize it, it might not be a healthy work environment. It might be a toxic work environment, but especially as a, you know, a new professional, you know, looking at your first job, you might not be in a situation where it's easy for you to necessarily quit and get a new job, you know, right away. Or you might want to, you know, try working there for you know, at least six months to a year or what have you. Um, you know, what are some ways you can kind of navigate that or set boundaries or, you know, maybe improve your situation? Um, yes. And so I think it's important to, again, to recognize that every situation is going to be unique. And so if I find myself in an unhealthy workspace or a toxic workspace, um, there may be limitations as far as my ability to move out of that or my ability to affect, to affect change in that situation. Um, and so I think, you know, when we have those restrictions and when we have those limitations, that's where boundaries are far more important um, because, you know, there's an awareness that the organization may not be in a space where they're going to uh, make sure that our mental, emotional well-being is taken care of. And so what are some of the things that I can set in place? Um, one of the things with boundaries that we can do in sort of protecting um, how much exposure we have to those environments is being aware of the time and the time that we commit to those workspaces. And so if this is not an environment where um, I'm feeling fulfilled or that is supportive of my health in some way, um, then limiting, right, the, the time that I spend with that. And that doesn't mean that we don't meet, you know, expectations of the workspace and don't do our 40-hour week as expected. Um, but what that does mean is that I might want to be cautious about not going over the 40-hour expectation. Um, because, again, that's a way that I can sort of protect, again, myself in not having to extend that toxicity that I'm exposing myself to. Um, in that same way of being cautious of our time and setting boundaries, that may be a conversation that we need to have 
with our supervisors who, you know, may challenge that or push the boundaries of that and asking us to do more um, is sitting down with them and saying, well, the expectation is this, and I'm taking these steps to protect right myself that I'm able to continue in this work. And so I'm asking that my hours continue to fall within what's expected and no more. And that is a, a right that you do have as an employee. Uh, another thing to kind of consider in the way of establishing boundaries when we're, you know, in toxic and unhealthy environments um, is kind of seeing where we can find support. And so hopefully, you know, in these types of situations, there are spaces, there are opportunities for us to get support, whether that's um, with another colleague where we're getting kind of individual emotional support and sitting with that distress um, or, you know, seeking personal supports on our own, Um, you know, whether that's individual counseling or, or group counseling, you know, for folks that may be having similar challenges or similar experiences. And so that we're able to find a way of processing some of the emotions that are coming up for us in these environments. And we're finding personal ways of um, addressing them so that, you know, it's not exacerbating and causing more problems for us down the road. Um, So again, in those situations where there are restrictions, right. um, As far as being able to address or affect change, oftentimes we have to look inward as far as what we can do to make sure that boundaries are in place until we're able to move to a different situation or we decide for ourselves that it's a good time for us to move to a different situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder of not always having to go like above and beyond that 40 hour work week um, and giving yourself also giving yourself permission to use your paid time off, <laughs> use your sick time, those sorts of things. I think I know myself and I, a lot of people sometimes like feel a lot of guilt around that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's your time and it's okay to take it. Um, yeah. But I know it can be hard when you're working in a place where that's not always modeled um, too. Yeah. I'd seen this um, meme recently that sort of commented on the 40-hour work week. And it was a message essentially saying that the 40-hour work week was developed with the belief or on the premise um, that you have a partner uh, who is helping you with all the personal and outside and home duties, right, uh, that still need to get done outside of that 40-hour work week. And that's not where we are today. And so just reading that was a reminder um, that we're already extending ourselves and working in that kind of way. uh, Because, you know, many of us are in situations where we're doing a lot of things outside of work and taking care of ourselves personally or family or, you know, social relationships um, that are important to our livelihood and that we have to also attend to. And so those boundaries are so important in making sure that we're able to attend to all of the things um, that fuel us and all of the things that are important aspects of our lives. Yeah, I think I, I saw that same meme <laughs> or any, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so true. You know, there's it feels like having, and if you have kids too, it's like juggling 
two or three different jobs. Whereas before, even, and if you do have a partner, probably it's more common for both of you to be working or Mm -hmm. um, have different, you know, responsibilities too. And it's a lot. lot to be an adult. <laughs> it's a lot. Yes. And I, I mean, I think especially as new professionals, um, you know, it could feel wrong or selfish to kind of set those boundaries, you know, from the very beginning, um, because, you know, we may have this feeling that we have to prove ourselves and you know, who am I as a new professional starting this career uh, to set boundaries on my work time, because I should be um, so grateful, right. For this opportunity And, you know, it's important to keep in mind that boundaries doesn't mean that I'm not grateful, right, for the opportunities that I have. You know, my boundaries are a way for me to continue to fulfill, right, the opportunities that I have. And if I'm not taking care of myself or looking for opportunities, um, you know, for support in doing this work, um, then I may struggle, right? And I may find that I don't have the longevity that I might be looking to have in that career or in that profession. I have one last question for the two of you, and it's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Rosa, what was your first job? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, so my first First job was um, in high school. Um, I cleaned up concession stands uh, on the weekends and after gaming events. And that first job actually transitioned into my second job because I had that experience and was able to do that when I became a student at the University of Florida and started cleaning up the the O'Connell Center, right, after events and things like that. Uh, So that was my first job. That's very <laughs> cool. <laughs> right. What about you, Chelsea? Oh, I love that question. Um, my first job was working at a movie theater. Um, so like Rosa, I was also cleaning up concessions <laughs> <laughs> and working concessions. Um, that was that was a lot of what I did. Um, and, you know, cleaning up the popcorn <laughs> and you know working the ticket booth and all of that and it honestly was a really fun job I got to watch a lot of movies (laughs) and talk about movies (laughs) with people and got a lot of free popcorn um (laughs) what was your first job um my first so my first non-tax paying job was um, working for my parents, actually, they owned a small deli in the Miami area. And so from when I was age seven to 19. So I was always like helping them out with making deli platters or sandwiches or pizzas, cleaning off tables, ringing up people. So I, uh, I learned a lot about the, the restaurant industry. Um, which which makes me respect it that much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should have some 
experience in a service yes. job at, at some point in their life. <laughs> it's definitely a good learning experience. Yeah. But you know, I can reflect back right on those first jobs and, you know, see the conflicts, right. And see mm-hmm. issues and boundaries and see mm-hmm. you know, all the things that, you know, I'm experiencing now as a professional. Um, I just experienced it a little bit differently in those first jobs, but Uh, yeah, some of those lessons learned are things that I think still carry forward today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was so great talking to you. Yes, it was great being here. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.